Welcome to Soul Conversations. We are three Kearney adoptees that talk about anything and everything through an adoptee lens. I'm Shanae. I'm Kara. And I'm Gunny. And this is Season 3, Episode 9. Y'all, we are over halfway through Season 3. It's been quite a journey so far. And we've had so many great guests on the show. And tonight, it's just going to be us three riffing, checking in. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about where we are in our journey and what that means to us right now in our lives. Um, so it's going to be a fun ride. I, I'm looking forward to the, the conversation and got a lot to talk about, I feel. So, you know, it's the time for us to let you all in our lives and be real and honest with you all. That's kind of the, the essence of this these uh, conversations. Kara, did you have a perm at any point in your childhood? No perm, but I did have the bowl cut. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I had the perm. I had the Asian perm I, for like I a long heard. time. I never got to Wait. that point in my evolution. Yeah. <laughs> what's, the Asian, what's the Asian perm? It's like, I feel like somebody, oh gosh, maybe it was Katie or somebody posted um like a while back about throwback pictures and how when they were a child, maybe like six years old, they, you know, or this little Korean adoptee with like curly hair because they, their mom got it permed and it was like an eighties thing. And I totally, totally had permed hair. I think from (laughs) when I was, gosh, probably four to maybe like eight yeah, it was pretty, the, time, pretty long the timeline stretch. matches up. Now that you say yeah. that, Shanae, my sister had a perm too, I think. <laughs> because now, now yeah, he's like, like who do? Uh, yeah. Like all my, my, my girl cousins had perms. My aunts had perms. And then my sister too. And I didn't even think anything of it at the time. Like, oh, that's weird to have. Yeah, hair. I mean, it wasn't oh. like, oh, if you have an Asian adoptee, you better get the hair perm kind of thing. I think it was just like what was in style. So we got yeah. them too. But the the disconnect looking back is like, wait a minute. Wait, so how does that work? Do you, does it just use like heat and then it just stays like that for a week or so or what what happens? I think it's changed a lot because like I haven't had one since I was eight years old. But I think like when I was a kid, they'd put your hair in like the, the rollers, the tight tight little rollers, depending upon like what size curl you wanted. And then they would douse your entire head in this solution that like reeked. It was so, I don't know if it had like, all I can think of was like acetone or like some kind of alcohol smell. And then you would sit under the, the heat dryer for like an hour and let it curl, you know, cure. And then they would wash it all out. Definitely not like healthy. I'm sure. (laughs) Wait, is there a crinkler too? Was that popular back in the day when they like crinkle or frizz your hair? Like with the iron, was like that, the was that the same? The cr- yeah, crimper, crimper, same? crimper, crimper. Okay, uh, that's what I thought it was at first. No, okay. Oh my god, I definitely yeah. used to crimp my hair for sure, but the perm never happened. Oh, uh, see, I never did the crimping. 
I did like the red hair too. I did like the blonde hair. Like I, I went more through like the adult hair phases more so than the child one other than the bowl cut. The did you do like happened. all red or like red highlights? Because I like had like red, red highlights in high school. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like the streaks. And then one time I was like so red. I used to actually put Sharpie in my hair every morning just to like <laughs> tone it down. Wait, oh was this gosh. in high school? Oh yeah, like high, mostly in high school. I played my okay. hair a little bit in college, not too much, but like I feel like my high school years was like the peak of the at-home hair. Like yeah. the L'Oreal kits were coming out. The at-home yeah. bleaching was like all the bad things that yeah. like, I'm surprised I have any hair on my head. Um, honestly, yeah. from the abuse that <laughs> I put it through. So it was bound to happen. <laughs> yeah. All the hair things. And then, like, the skinny eyebrows. I oh, like. girl. Yeah. No, oh, I... yeah. It's like a miracle Wait, they grew the back. Skinny the eyebrows. Funny. Do you remember oh, yeah. girls, like, in high school and their yes. eyebrows were, like, yep. the sh- not stripper even eyebrows. There? Yeah. Yes. So, wait. Did you have to pluck that to get that yeah. skinny? And then a lot of women, they have a really hard time growing it back. That's why, like, all these hair serums or your eyebrows are, like, in right now. Because, like, we abuse the shit out of our eyebrows. And now everyone's trying to grow them out because, like, the the wolf eyebrows are, like, the thing now. So all the women, So all the women our age are like, shit. Like, yeah. Wait, so eyebrows don't grow back for everyone? Not if you pluck the shit out of them for, like, a decade. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that makes sense. Longevity, that makes sense. <laughs> but I remember like having like a like when you're starting to hit puberty, starting to get a unibrow, and you're like, nope, that thing's my girlfriend plucking that out. Did you ever do like That's the like frosted tip thing or like the bleaching? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, what it was, was your bleach style? It was about it was supposed to be blonde, but you know, grew up in a small town, so you did your kit with your neighbor down the road who does haircuts on the side and. It turned out fine, but it was just turned out to be like more orange. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was when frosted tips was in style. Uh, like wearing a long sleeve shirt under a t shirt was in style. <laughs> yes. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, joke chains and anything that basically was Dickies. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely in the same crowd. Like this American high school kid, I'm doing the same thing. So. I had that. I had multiple piercings. And then, oh, I didn't know about the piercings, Benny. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Say I made more. my parents very like nervous during like Sunday church because they're like, oh my God, my kid is having frosted <laughs> tips and earrings. But, you know, turned out fine. What were your piercings? Just your ears? Yeah. That's the only thing I did. But, I don't know. Two piercings at the time was in style for guys. Like getting both of them pierced or like two in one earlobe or one yeah. on the earlobe and one on the, the cartilage. That's what I had. Cartilage. But like, yeah. And then one yeah. year in college, I just stopped wearing them. I'm like, I, this isn't cool. Or maybe I think I just got lazy and I'm like, I guess they closed up. But I remember that. And like the gauges were in for a while. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Some of the fashion stuff is like back in right now. I'm, I just started watching Euphoria and um, I don't think I've shared yet, but uh, like on the, on the cast, I mean, 
I'll be starting a new job. And a, a big part of starting the new job, the new position is um, working on like Gen Z research. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, I got to watch Euphoria now. And I'm like, why yeah. are these girls like low-key wearing stuff that like I wore in middle school, but I, I didn't look sexy. I looked like a dork. Like these girls are like terrifying. <laughs> but like the chains and the, the dickies and like all that, like that is like, that's it right now. Really? I like it. Maybe I'll just go back to, you know, the choke you can fit in with the, Yeah, you could, you could fit in with the Gen Zs right now, Benny. I haven't seen Euphoria, but I need to check it it's out. A, I just heard horror stories. Oh, no. Maybe I don't want to watch it. Though. Yeah, I don't you know. Is that the drug movie. one that Zendaya's yeah. in or something? Yeah. That's the only thing I know about it. Yeah, it's a downer. Wait, so are you oh. still with Starbucks? Yes, uh, okay. still with Starbucks. It's just a new position. Um, moving over to beverage innovation. Ooh. So getting out of uh, product strategy and heading over to beverage innovation, which I'm super excited about. So what's going to be the holiday cup for uh, next next season? I can't tell you that, Benny. It's just going to be a black one that says war on Christmas. <laughs> Christmas could get canceled. For I would definitely know. go to Starbucks for that. I don't. I don't even go to Starbucks, but I would go for that just for the iron. Betty, I what? I don't do coffee. Like I'm, coffee to we, me is just a vehicle to be up in the morning. I don't care if it's the best coffee in the world from beans that were just picked from Colombia or McDonald's store bought. Oh. I don't know, roast. I'll 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 drink whatever as long as it gives me the caffeine. But I will not lie, when I was in Wisconsin working on campus, one of my um coworkers loved Starbucks and she would tempt me to go along with her in the morning just to get out of the office. And it's really good coffee. There you go. Not a sponsor yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people. <laughs> Sinead, do you do caffeine in the morning or do you try to stay away from it? Uh, I attempt to do caffeine in the morning. Like when I was teaching, I would go to work every day with a thermos full of coffee and it would yeah. I would leave every day with the same full just lukewarm thermos of coffee. <laughs> um and it's still it's still like I'll pour myself I've cut down to like half a cup and I'm lucky if I make it through that by two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Really? But I do like coffee. Yeah. Daniel's a coffee snob. Um, okay. I'll I'll drink pretty much anything except not McDonald's coffee unless <laughs> I'm driving on a road trip and like desperately need to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> what about like tea or anything like that? I'll do tea. Yeah. I'm much more of like a tea, tea person, I think. Yeah. Kara, what's your go-to Starbucks like order and not like normal coffee but like what's your go-to foo-foo starbucks drink since you're fully My, immersed this one is not on the record on the record joke but i'm actually on a caffeine break right now so i have been you know trying to find other things so right now what i've been drinking is have you had the pink drink yes the pink drink with the cold foam on it the sweet, Benny, are you looking it up? <laughs> the sweet cream. Yeah, yeah what this, is that? Is it Pepto Bismol? No, it's, I actually don't know. I should probably know this, right? I think it's like strawberry and coconut milk. It's like a coconut yeah. milk 
uh, based drink. But then if you get the cold foam on top of it, it gives you kind of that like boba tea vibes when you get that like cheese cap, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, or like strawberries so, and cream. Yeah, it gives you like that little vibe. My uh, girlfriend Amber, she like was all up on it and I got it once. I was like, oh yeah, this is fire. So I've been getting that. Good. And you can also get like matcha put in the, in the um, cold foam too. So some people do it that way where it's like a green cap with like the pink drink. Oh, um, it looks like a strawberry. It looks like yeah. Benny. <laughs> that- <laughs> Wait, it. I'm a strawberry? Wait, didn't you say that you were a strawberry originally before we got into the whole like coconut? Oh yeah, shell? oh yeah. An onion. An onion, you were an onion. I remember that one. Yeah, this does look uh, pretty fire. Well, I'll have to go out to some Starbucks when we're together at Con. Yes. Yes. Well, do you want to talk about um, how we're doing today? What's going on in our lives, our journeys? I was actually thinking about this because we were talking about maybe doing this and talking about this for quite a bit now. But when it was just two of us, just Shanae and me, it was, uh, I feel like we were on the kind of the same trajectory as far as um, where we were coming out of fog and our discovery uh, for a lot of different things, but different than others. But um, Shanae, do you feel like your uh, personal connection to your career and heritage spiked up when you knew you were um, going to have a baby? Yes and no. Like, I think, I think initially, yes. Like, I feel like I went through with the whole coming out of the fog thing like a, I don't know, like, I feel like honeymoon phase isn't the right term because honeymoon phase is like wonderful and and, and nice and all that. But I feel like I, I hit the ground running with coming out of the fog and got super invested in like the social media community and like the anger part and the, you know, wanting to either like serve the community, be part of the community. And not that I don't want those things anymore, but like now it's, it's moved into the marriage phase, right? It's like, how can I do this? It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Like, how can I stay invested and how can I do the things that are meaningful to me, but not burn myself out, right? Because it's so weird to think that you could burn yourself out on like discovering your identity. But I feel like for CADS, that's totally true, right? It's like drinking from a fire hose sometimes, Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think initially there was a lot of pressure that I put on myself out of fear because I was so afraid that she was going to grow up feeling the same way that I did for a lot of things. But then, you know, after talking to my therapist and realizing, you know, how much is projecting and how, because, you know, just the fact that she's living with me and growing up with me that automatically, you know, she's not going to have the same feelings of like abandonment and that type of trauma, um, I've kind of cooled my jets a little bit and I would say I've settled into the like, like kind of superficial parts of it, you know, like we're doing the food or we're doing, you know, like the mm-hmm. dole or we did her bakil and, and that kind of stuff. But like, I'm not stressing about if it's right. I'm doing the things that I like and, and it's, it's whatever is, is easy and stress-free. Um, but I think on the birth family side, though, I recently, as of, I think, Valentine's Day, 
just sent another letter to my birth mom via the social worker. And it was very much like an impulse decision. I like had sat on it and I was like, eh. And then I like woke up and I was like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I do want to know more about my birth family and like my birth mom in particular, like how she grew up, my grandparents and that kind of thing. Um, Cause I'd like to be able to tell her, I think. So um, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a long letter cause she didn't, I don't remember if I told my birth mom that I was pregnant when I initially wrote to her. Um, so it was kind of a, like a surprise. You have, <laughs> you have a grandchild who's almost a year old. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if I hear back or, if I do what she says. That's crazy to think about that. <laughs> Reconnecting with your birth mom and then letting her know that um, she has a um, granddaughter. That's got to be so profound in so many different ways from both sides. What about you, Benny? Where do you feel like you are in the journey? Yeah, I think it's been uh, a very interesting ride for sure. Um Sinead, when did, when did the first episode launch? I think March 2021. Yeah, it's over a year later. Oh, yeah. It feels longer than that. But I, I do feel, uh, you know, having conversations with you before we started the podcast and anything like that, I was definitely at the peak of my discovery and wanting to um, do more about my heritage. And then also that was capitalized just on like a lot of the uh, anti-Asian hate movement too as well. I think just with a lot of different factors uh, that definitely inspired me. But I think you've heard this a lot and maybe some of the viewers have or listeners have too, but uh, like last year was probably the, the hardest year of my life by far, hands down. And so was for a lot of people. And it broke me in so many different fronts, um, professional life, personal life, um, romantic life, family life, every front at the same time. And I felt like I, this was done, like it's done. Um, and just, a, and just a lot of ways of just like, I had to put stuff, so much stuff in the back burner. And I think that tied with, uh, doing a lot of things about growth, like trying to enjoy therapy and having all that adversity really made me realize so much trauma that I dealt with all my life. And I was just dealing with it. And I didn't even know that it was happening. And it was being reflected in so many different things in my life that I never even thought about because either one, I was hiding it. Um, and my body was just protecting me. Um, or two, I just got so used to it. Um, I didn't even know that I was dealing with this major anxiety and depression, like all my life. And I think opening up to that and being on this podcast and working with you, Sinead, just really helped me get to a place where I needed to just be broken down and be really vulnerable. And I think now I'm just trying to get back on the horse in so many things and also balance what we talked about in previous conversations of that guilt and shame. Like I used to be so hardworking, so 
upbeat and, and dedicated to so many things. And now it's time for me to like slowly get back in and be able to trust people and be able to trust my career and do many different things uh, without the fear of being burned. But my body's just kind of taking it halfway. Um, and I think it's just me today is just trying to manage that shame and guilt of trying of not being like working 17, you know, hour days or something like that, or taking on too many responsibilities and but also not letting the people I care about down. And I think that's where my journey really is of being okay. That my Korean heritage side is on a break right now and really trying to be in tune with discovering the things that I need to care about most, like getting back in touch with my family and my brother and sister and my nieces and nephews, where I just felt so far away from them for so many decades. It's just like these things that I feel bad about for all my life, you know, finally came to a sense where it's like, these things happen for a reason, not because I'm a bad person, but because I just didn't want to talk to my mom or dad after school because I just got bullied every day or, what happened today? Why are you sad? And like, I, I don't want to relive those embarrassing or shameful moments that turned into years and years of not talking to my mom and dad or telling them what was going on and now being really uh, close off on relationships and finally being understand like, Hey, it happened because something bad happens in you, not because you're a bad person. And um, kind of starting making an apology to her of just, realizing that maybe I wasn't the most involved or best person I wanted to be, but also being okay with the past is the past. And it's an opportunity to reinvent myself and rejuvenate myself, but not butt off too much that I can chew and just be honest with people that I, I really want to be that person I used to be just go get her. But I think right now it's just, just trying to trust again. And that's why I like these, conversations because I think Shanae and Carrie, you are both really on, I would expire to be you on your, your journeys because there's, a, and there's a lot of ways like, Oh, I wish I was doing this and that and be more active in the social media and doing all that. And I think that's okay because I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that are probably in the same position as other people on, on this call. And that's okay too. And that's like the honest assessment where I felt, I feel like, I want to be at a certain place, but I know it's going to come eventually. And right now it's better for me to get to my normal self in the, in this world um, before I try to bite off something that's been suppressed and intentionally hidden for so many decades. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, you talk a lot about reconnecting with your family and, and, you know, granted, I don't know the relationship or the dynamic of your family too much, but I think it's it's important and it's really helpful. It's not necessary because a lot of people do this journey and kind of the digging and the excavating into the adoptee piece and the heritage piece without familial support. But I think, Benny, you've always talked about having, you know, at least some kind of relationship with your with your parents with your siblings and and your nieces and nephews and they just seem to be even if you don't feel like you were close to them they always seem to be such an anchor in your mm -hmm. life and i think you know for you it it makes a lot of sense and i'm glad that you're prioritizing those things because i think 
just feeling safe in that container and in kind of your immediate day-to-day life, I think that'll really help you and serve you well when you do choose to, you know, or maybe you don't, but if you do choose to, you know, go down the avenues of, you know, that, that hard stuff, like, I think, I think it's good for you to have people to lean on. So I'm glad that you're, you're taking those steps. Yeah. I, I love all that. What you said, Janine, and I, I'm just thinking about this too, that the people that are my anchors are both of you too, as well, because there's days where I don't feel like I can take anymore, like scrolling on social media and trying to be active. And I put that down, but um, sometimes it's hard to get on and record or think ahead. But every time I'm here, it just, uh, it just makes me feel like the most genuinely loved and appreciated person. And even though when I feel I'm messing up so bad or not doing enough, I feel you all get it because I think we've all been there. And, uh, that always can't be relatable to some of our other friends in different circles. Um, but uh, Carrie, your first, you were our first guest or our last guest in our first episode. And um, it came out in May of 2021. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Your, your um, episode was great, but now you're part of the, 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 the pod and a huge part of the efforts behind the scenes too. What's uh, what have you felt in the last year or so? Um, well, first of all, things people can't see is me over here crying. I know I'm like over, up too. I'm like I can't look at you <laughs> <laughs> over Benny and your vulnerability. And thank you. Um, I don't take those words lightly, so it means a lot to hear that and to receive that. And I feel it feels very mutual. Um, you know, we were talking about like what the hell we're going to talk about. We talked about community and, you know, it's easy to feel like, at least for me, what happened along my journey is that because I was constantly thinking about my adoption and my adoption journey, all this stuff, it kind of always felt like something or someone was always with me. But then like we were talking on our episode with Abby, that's going to air, you know, she's like, oh, like Kara was my only adult CAD friend. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I had all these adult CAD friends. I was like, no, actually, I have no adult CAD friends. And most of the time when I think of the other CADs in my life outside of my sister, they were kind of one and done, you know, interactions or they were somebody that I might have talked to once or twice on Instagram. But as far as having like a quote unquote community, um, I think that's been the piece that's been missing from my journey. Um, and Benny, so much what of what you were saying of just that I could hear and feel kind of the, the emotion in your voice of like, you know, I was tired of missing out on these relationships. I was tired of, you know, not being able to show up. And I think that's where I'm still at. I mean, you use the word trust and that word is like so big for me right now. Uh, because it's not something that I really like think about on a day-to-day basis, but through talking to my therapist and through joining a new organization where I'm constantly meeting new people, like the word trust has, has definitely come up for me a lot in the past year and realizing that, yeah, I have, as my therapist put it, a general distrust in people. And and that's exactly what it is. It's a general distrust. It's not like, oh, I don't trust certain people. It's just, I have always just had this general feeling of 
why would I ever like rely on anyone? And that obviously comes from, you know, the adoption baggage. And I feel similarly where I feel like the, the trauma and the processing is keeping me from engaging in authentic relationships that are beautiful and right in front of me, but I'm just not able to receive them because I'm, I'm processing so much. And I don't know if it's my marketing brain, but, and this sounds so dumb now that I'm saying it out loud, but I guess I didn't really look at the podcast as like a part of my CAD journey as much as like, oh, it's a marketing project. You know, like it's just, you know, me and these two other creative CADs that are like putting together this awesome content. And like, I, I, I guess, like I said, I feel dumb saying it right now was kind of my moment of like, oh no, like outside of the project and the content that you're creating, like there's, there's relationships happening and there are, there's growth that's happening and there's, there's new ways and new perspectives of me to look at my own experience from talking with our guests and like talking with you guys. And I don't think I've truly had a chance to reconcile how that has played a huge part in my journey and where I'm at. And I think for me, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get back to the joy that I had when I was in the fog with like the information and, and the fire and the anger that I have that I, that I got coming out of the fog. And like, how do those two things come together? Because before it was like, oh, I'm blissfully unaware and I'm going to share my story, make everybody feel good. And then it was like 2020 happened. I was like, no, I actually hate you guys. And I've experienced a lifetime of, of racism and bullying. And you're the reason why I hate everything and everyone. And now I'm working on both of those things can be true and can live together, but I don't know what cohabitation looks like yet. And I still feel the need to swing into like an either or state. I'm either like the angry one, as I so often label myself, or I'm like the hurt inner child. And I'm just like, where's the middle ground so I can get back to, to living my life and doing my CAD journey, especially in regards with like the, the Korean heritage thing through the lens of my own experience. And what I mean by that is like when I first came out of the fog, I thought getting in touch with my Korean heritage meant, you know, Shanae, kind of some of the stuff that you were saying, going and being a traditional Korean woman and following the recipes the way they're supposed to and following the traditions the way you're supposed to and putting on the handbook the way you're supposed to. Like, I thought if I mastered those things, that would be me getting in touch with my Korean heritage. But what I have found over time is that that's just me trying to be Korean. And that is me actually ignoring and excusing my American and adoption part of the identity. And those things bring different meaning to what Koreanness is to, to me, to America, to people who interact with me. Like I am setting the tone and setting the definition of what being a Korean in America looks like every day by just existing. And I'm trying to figure out what that power feels like. It's such a lame analogy, but, you know, cooking and food is so, you know, near and dear to my life. And I went from trying to follow the recipes in this traditional way and doing it right to doing it in a way that feels authentic to me. And if that means some butter here or some extra garlic here, or a little more pinch of sugar there, like 
that is just as Korean of a dish because it's made by a Korean person, you know? And I think that's kind of the place that I'm wanting to get to next is like, instead of seeing it through the lens of like, oh, I'll be healed or I'll be Korean or I'll be X, Y, Z label at the end of this journey and realizing like, no, it's happening right here and now. And I get to make some of these definitions and I've got to stop creating these narratives in my head. That's like, you'll be completely out of the fog if you've mastered it when you do X, Y, Z. And it's like, there's no mastering it. Look now, now Sinead's over here. No, now, it's just be the crying. Episode, <laughs> y'all. This is, this is it. No, it's just, I was thinking like, it's so true what you said about the food because like, I think especially with Clara, like I put so much pressure on myself in the right. beginning. And like, I realized that, you know, my, so my adoptive grandmother is Hungarian. Um, and she always like, I have so many memories of being in the kitchen with her and making like chicken paprikash and everything. And not once did I ever think like when I was remaking the dish, like, Oh, I wonder what percentage of like true Hungarian this is, right? Like, right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, I, just, I made the food the way that she made the food, and I never thought to to question. And I think about, you know, I, I re- remember doing the episode with um Josh and Sehun and laughing about using ground beef for um I think bibimbap or something. Um, and how yeah. was like, we can't do that or whatever. And I was like, yeah. I do that sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> and like, granted, I don't do that anymore. Sehun, thank you. We don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're for time. Um, but realizing, you know, that, that it's, you know, Clara isn't going to question how Korean are yes. these recipes, right? She's going to be like, this is my mom's bibimbap recipe or, you yes. know, this is my mom's dakboki or my mom's kimchi, you know, and, and that that's what she's going to remember. And I think just it's important for me to remember that to cut myself some slack. <laughs> Cause I don't know, there's definitely still a lot of pressure. <laughs> it is. And that, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm trying to free myself from is this like idea that it's supposed to look a certain way and that I've completed the journey. Like I'm even starting to like, not like the word journey because I know everyone's like, Oh, it's not the destination. It's the journey. But like a journey is leading you to a destination innately. Right. Like even that word can be triggering for me because it's not really like a pathway at all. It feels more just like almost like a circle or a cycle. And you're just, you're somewhere on the spectrum at some point in time, depending on what's happening, who messed with you that day, what thing you saw on Instagram. I mean, it is, it's become, it feels more fluid for me than ever where before I could have like really distinctly said like, oh, this is my super Korean phase or this is my super whatever phase where now it's like, it's on a day by day on a moment by moment, an hour by hour situation where like, yeah, sometimes I feel quote unquote super Korean. Sometimes I feel quote unquote super American. Sometimes I feel quote unquote super adopted. 
And there's not really like, um, there's not really an end. And I think that pressure sometimes gets there or is put there when we talk about like a journey and like you hear people even say like being further along on their journey or just begin. It, it's, there's just innate competition or measurement or tracking when you say journey. So maybe that's what we'll do. We'll just get rid of the journey. We'll dismantle the journey. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. You bring up a good point where it's like, you know, we're all on our different quote unquote journeys, but what is our end goal? What does success look like? What does the thing at the end of your journey say, oh, you've accomplished this and for what? And I can't answer that question. I don't know what my end goal is. And I don't know if I ever thought about having an end goal. And to your point, Sinead, like, the pressure and competition we put ourselves, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with our Korean adoption, uh, is there's no time to enjoy the moment or the fruits of our labor that we work so hard to do to say, look, look back and take a step back and say, you know, we've done so much in our lives and we made it so far and we've, we've accomplished so much and that was so much adversity and we're still here and it's okay to be where we're at and have the feelings that we have and not feel guilty or pressured to check off the next box or look like the next uh, CAD or do this and that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, having an achievement, but yeah, I definitely feel like the side of the journey sometimes feels like it's never ending. And sometimes in our world, at least for me, at least it just never feels good enough. And just being okay with understanding that our journey is our journey and it's okay to be in the present and realize that even if we don't feel like we're doing anything or doing enough, that our journey is still that it, that that's what our journey is still about. Yeah. Kara, I agree with you, what you said about referring to it as a journey. And I'm, I'm probably going to get massacred for saying this, Um, (laughs) but like even the phrase coming out of the fog, can we like, rebrand coming out of the fog because I don't know where it started. I don't know where it originated and maybe shame on me for not knowing that. But like, I feel like even that, how many guests have we had Benny on this podcast that have said, I'm not sure like how far out of the fog I am or like I am out of the fog, but I'm in a new fog and that they've articulated this, you know, I feel like I'm in this gray area and I feel like the phrase Mm -hmm. coming out of the fog, it's like, well, what happens? you know, meteorologically when the fog lifts, right? It's sunny, it's clear, everyone's like outside having a barbecue, you know? And I feel like the idea of coming out of the fog means like you've emerged and it's all clear and you have it all figured out. And I have yet to meet a CAD who has said, I'm out of the fog and like definitively is out of the fog. They have zero issues with their identity. They have zero issues with imposter syndrome. They have zero issues with relationships. Like, you know, like in, and I'm sorry, but like who said, Hey, let's pick this phrase that is, you know, full of gray area and allows for, you know, measuring against each other and competition Mm -hmm. and achievement. Right. And says, let's use that for this entire community that, is known to struggle with these issues. <laughs> yeah, it, it creates that innate like badge of honor. 
Yeah, it's like it's a like, black and white like, thing too. Yeah, it's like are you out or are you in? Oh, like he's right. And I, I've even seen in like comments, which is like horrible. Like, um, what is it? The Bling Empire dude. I would even see other like adoptees be like, that guy's like so in the fog. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, now yeah. we start using it as an insult now of like, so there's even more pressure, right? Now there's this pressure to be like out of the fog and, and living and living, you know, your best life. I use like the sunny thing. And you're, I love that analogy, Shanae, because like for me coming out of the fog was the worst shit storm I ever stepped into. <laughs> it was the exact yeah. opposite of sunny. That is when all of my anger came on. That is when my, all of my white resentment came out. I mean, I would say if I look across my adoption journey and general sentiment, there was more negative emotions associated when I was out of the fog, quote unquote, than when I was in. When I was in the fog, that's when this was my destiny. That's when mm-hmm. this was all meant to be. That's when my family has always been my family <laughs> since the day I was born. And mm-hmm. I never had to second guess or think about white saviorism and trafficking and all these like heavy things that I still candidly refuse to accept about my life in a lot of ways. Like, do I accept it as an objective fact? And do I follow the activism? And do I understand, am I angry at the system? Absolutely. But do I tell people or do I feel like I am a victim of child trafficking? No. And I hate that the fog coming out of the fog has almost pressured me to feel that way because I don't feel that way. And that might be, and that might be where I'm quote unquote still in the fog maybe, but it's just like, for me, my life does not function better when I look at myself through the lens of this plucked person that was just thrown randomly at a map. Like it, it was like a survival tactic of like, I have got to stop looking at myself and in my beginnings like that, because it's putting me in a, on a harder slope to having any self-esteem. So profound. I, I also like the analogy too in both that, that all those senses, but a different sense too, I feel is like if you compare like coming out of the fog when the, when the, the clouds disappear or whatever, and it's sunny and bright, like that doesn't happen. We can't enjoy the brightness and sunniness unless there was the fog before. And I feel like in order to feel like we're coming out of the fog, we shouldn't dismiss all the things that we had to get and go through and learn from to be where we are today. And I think we can't dismiss ourselves from that either. Um, I'm curious to know from both of you, like, let's say you thought about writing an autobiography about your life and your story. And I feel like everyone's read a book or saw a movie where the ending doesn't really feel quite complete or finished, but it's still a really great ending. You know, when we think about where we are right now in our story, what chapter we map out on, maybe we're on chapter seven of our full life of chapter 20 or 30 or something like that. Um, I'm just curious to know, where do you think your last page will be? Like, what's the setting? Are you riding off in the clouds somewhere? What's your last words as the, as the book ends? Uh, is it a, is a two-parter? Is it going to be a series? 
But I'm just curious to know, you know, if you had to think about it right now, what's, what does that final page look like to you in any sense, in any fashion, any taste or smell or any environment or any words that come to your mind when you think about just everything, not just your journey as being a cad, but, you know, your life as a, as an ending of the, as the book, where do you think that might be? Woof, what a question. Um, I don't know. I like to think mine has like a happy ending. And as much as we just said, you know, we don't want to be on this perpetual journey and we don't want to do all these things. Like for me, what I hope and what I've always kind of envisioned for myself is that at the end, like I find peace with it. You know, it feels like that type of story where it's like, which makes me feel a little sad for myself candidly of, because that means that my life has been a struggle, right? Like if the ending of the book is, Oh, she's finally at peace. She can finally rest to me. That implies that like the whole thing was just an uphill battle. And there are certainly times and days and seasons that it feels like that. And I think on most days, in the, for the majority of my life, I probably would have told you that. Like, I definitely have that victim mindset of like, my life is happening to me and life and things happen to me. And it's my job to dodge and deal rather than I am the creator of my life and everything that I want and do in life is my responsibility. Like that's what I'd like it to be, but that's not unfortunately the hand that was dealt to me. So a lot, like just hearing you say that, a lot of it is like this resolution of I just dropped the bullshit and I just was like living my life. And at the end of it, really, it was great. And that whole time I was suffering and thinking everyone was against me. I was all in my head. And then I kind of smile and like the credits, you know, roll that. I mean, that's kind of what I've always envisioned and wanted for myself, but I don't know if that's just like another fairy tale in my head. Who knows? Yeah, Kara, I agree with you. I think, Benny, when you asked that question, the first thing that came into my mind too was just peace, just like to be at peace with everything and and to, you know, not live the rest of my life for the last, you know, whatever, half, three quarters of it being for everybody else. Like I always think about in college, so in UMass, I was in marching band, um, band geek through and through. Um, and our director, uh, his name was George Parks, and he, our like band song was My Way by Frank Sinatra. And at the end of every football game, fifth quarter after our show, we would all stand and sing. And like, if you go back as an alumni, when they sing it, like everybody links arms in the stands and sings. And it's, it's like a tradition. And I think, you know, going through that program with him and singing those lyrics, literally like every Saturday um, for four years of my life, like really hit home. And I don't always walk that walk. Like it's definitely a struggle, I think, to, you know, let everybody's opinions go or to set boundaries or to, you know, find a fight, like Kara, to your point, fight against those voices in my head that may or may not be real. Um, but I hope that by the end of my journey, whatever it looks like, it could be that I'm 
you know, surrounded by family, it could be that I'm completely alone. (laughs) You know, I hope not. But, you know, if I could have she did it her way written on my tombstone, then I think I would be happy with that. That's a badass tombstone. I might have to copy that. (laughs) I feel I feel like both of you kind of summed up mine too, just like Janae, your your tombstone of I did it my way. I definitely feel like most of my life has been trying to appeal to other people and do things for other people and lifting them up because that'll lift me up too as well. Care, but I also sense I definitely can relate to that piece. Like that final chapter is just like that. The letting go of the weight. There's so much weight. I don't even I don't even know what's weighing me down some days, but it just feels so heavy. And what it would feel like for the first time to actually feel that weight come off. And part of me sees myself walking off into sunset somewhere out in Western America by myself and being 100% okay with that because I feel so much of this journey has been just trying to appease others and trying to fit in where, yes, I really am an extrovert in a lot of ways, but just not having to (laughs) do it by any other's rules besides yourself and be genuine yourself and not have to answer to anyone else and feeling that lift it off and, you know, on to the next thing. But I don't know what that says about us, if it's just something about us on the call, but it also could be something that's more a theme across a lot of other adoptees. But, uh, you know, I don't want to go against my words and say, let's look to the last chapter because I think that's always interesting to think about, but I I, I don't want to rush through my book yet. And I think I want to start, getting control of the pen, kind of like we said, Kara, and just feeling like more in control of the storytelling rather than other things dictating that, (laughs) you know, and dictating my story. I'd rather start taking a little more control of the pen and taking control of that a little bit more. Benny, I'm so glad you asked this question because even while we're kind of processing this like real time here, the thing that I, I want for myself now that I've heard my answer is that like, I don't want that to be when I'm 90. Like, you know, you mentioned what's the last chapter of the book. You didn't necessarily say like, what's the last like moment of your life. And in my head, those two things are kind of like associated. But now that I'm hearing this, you know, if, if, if my subconscious, you know, wish is to have this piece. Oh my God. If I wait till I'm fucking 90 to have that moment, I'm going to be so mad at myself. Like, who's to say I can't end the the chapter in the book next year? You know, who's to say I can't find that piece next year at 34 or this year shit at 34 when that happens, not yet, but when it does happen, like that's what I want for myself. Now that I'm hearing it, like, I don't want it to be so late in life. I want it to be sooner. So I can, to your point, Benny, like drop the weight. Um, and, And hearing you use that analogy of like, Sometimes you just, you don't know where it comes from or what the weight is, but it just, some days it just feels so heavy. My boss actually got me this book called Think Again by Adam Grant, and I'm not through with it. Reading is a struggle. But 
the prologue starts with this, you know, phenomenal story of these firefighters who go in and put out fires. Did I already say this? I already told this story. Okay. Just make sure. These firefighters who go in and they have to like put out wildfires, they're, they're taught in this extreme. This is not your average firefighter. These people are getting dropped from, you know, helicopters to put out wildfires. It's a very different type of situation. And there was this like famous incident where all these, um, unfortunately, a lot of these um, people died fighting this fire, but there was one survivor and he tells the tale of how in that moment he had to think on his feet to drop his gear to get rid of his gear. And he, I don't remember the full details, but something where he like lit a fire around him within the fire to create some type of wall. And he was, he was begging his fellow mates to come along and be like, this is, this is the only shot we got. We got to do this because the whole book is about unlearning. Right. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, we were trained to hold on to our gear, your backpack, your ax, all those things were your lifeline and in your training, it is bombarded over your head. Do not let your gear go. Your gear is going to save you. And when he was faced in that incident, it was like the gear was the thing holding me back. The thing that kept me alive in other situations was actually the thing that was going to kill me in this incident. And I had to let go of it. I had to unlearn. I had to think again to survive. And I didn't get much past the prologue because I'm sitting there going, oh my God, that's the, that's the baggage you're talking about, Benny. All that baggage that we were taught as, as young children, even as abandoned or, you know, abandoned children were the tools for survival. And we are so conditioned every day to put on our backpack and to put on our tools. They even talk about how they have found, and I don't mean to be graphic. They found, you know, remains of firefighters with the axes in their hand. I mean, you hold on to that thing that you were told was going to save you until your dying moment when you could have just let it go and run for the hills, you know? And I'm not trying to oversimplify that, but it, when you said that, that like sparked that analogy back in my head of like, every day I pick up the backpack and I put it on. And when is going to be the day that I decide to leave the backpack at home and just go out there without it? knowing that I might still need new survival tools or knowing that I still might run into some shit, but though that backpack is holding me back sometimes. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> Shocker. No, I mean, you're right. Like, and it's, it's interesting too, you know, I, like I had said that I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make this call because I wasn't feeling well. And you know how sometimes like if you ever get hit with like the flu real bad or, you know, some kind of sickness where you're down and out for, you know, a couple days or like a week, but you're like really down and out and you feel like shit. And that then when it finally goes away, it's like you almost forgot what it felt like to right. not feel sick. And I feel like so much of that is us, right? Mm. Like, you know, Benny, you talked about how you're just so conditioned and like, this is, this is just normal. This is your default setting to, you know, be armed a certain way to have certain things packed in your backpack to, you know, walk through life that like, you don't even realize physically, mentally what that's doing to you because you don't, you don't know what it looks like without it. And I feel like that's our struggle. Like, how can you strive for something that you don't even know what it looks like or you don't know what it feels like. And on top of that, you have like the entire world 
in society, more or less telling you that it's super scary, right? To be, to be without that or to not feel that certain way. And I know Kara, you've mentioned in certain points that, you know, you feel like you, the second that you feel happy or that you feel like you're not, you know, suffering or playing the victim that you, you know, enjoy it for maybe like a second. And then you're like, wait a minute, this feels wrong. This isn't normal. This is not my status quo. Like what's, what's wrong. I must be doing something wrong. And you know, I don't have any answers for how we can change that for ourselves or for one another. But I think, you know, that's definitely the uphill climb in a lot of ways is that we're we're striving for something that we have no concept of. And in a lot of times we don't have guidance either. So we're really just fumbling our way through and just taking it one step at a time. What would you guys tell your your former self, your fogged self now? Either advice or watchouts or encouragement. Like what would you say to validate yourself? Or would you? I don't know. I mean, part of me feels like I mean, I think this statement like you are enough comes to mind in a lot of instances when I think about my teenage self or my, you know, young child self to just say like, you're enough, like stop. You don't need to work so hard. You're, you're Asian enough. You're, you know, accomplished enough. I think in, in my personal story, that was what I needed to hear more in a lot of ways and definitely to have more self-compassion I think bitterly part of me would like to say that I needed to start this journey sooner. Do you know? I mean, Kara, to your point, like I wish, I wish I knew when I was 15, 16 years old, what I know now about, you know, especially around the race piece. Um, I wish I had that awareness, but at the same time, I also don't think that I, if I could, I don't think I would go back and, tell my 15 or 16 year old self to really excavate that at that point in time, because the people around me would not have been ready. I think it really needed to be like a meshing of things. I think just maturity wise, I would not have been able to handle the fact that people around me were not ready because I wouldn't fully say that people around me now are ready, but like you know, now I'm in my thirties, I am married, I have a family, you know, I'm in a much different place than as an adolescent. But yeah, I think definitely just the whole that you're enough, like stop and put down the backpack essentially is, is what I wish that I heard or that I knew. I got to pass to Kara. I mean, I don't even, that's a great question, but I, I don't even know I guess to me, to myself to say, like when I look back and say, what do you, what do you, what would you tell your younger self? To me, in my mind, things are like you figured it out and now you want to pass down some information to your younger self. I, I think there's a lot of that that could happen, but I also feel not ready or incomplete or not good enough yet. And I think, oh, that doesn't feel good. I don't feel confident about that. Like, what if I tell my younger self something wrong or or something false that I don't believe in. 
Um, but I think maybe the one thing I would do is just, if I could do anything at all, is just be by that kid who was in middle school or in high school or college or his 20s and not say a word and just be there and say, you're not going through it alone. Because I think there's so many times when I felt alone. Um, and uh, would there be something that would change about it? Yes, of course. But also I think there's a lot of the things that I would say that need to happen for me to heal, move on. And um, yeah, my, I think my answer is still incomplete. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Kara. It's a great question. It's it's almost in the same vein of of Shanae, but like on an opposite spectrum. If that makes sense, of like the words that come to mind are none of it matters, kid. <laughs> like. None of it really matters at the end of the day. If again, if I die an old woman in the fog, does it matter if I was in or out? Does it matter if I ever mastered Korean language or, you know, messed up or didn't mess up my kimchi recipes along the way? Did it matter or not matter that I even like tried to find my birth parents and went to Korea, you know, back and forth? Like, and it's not, it's not none of it matters in a depressive way. It's none of it matters in a truly objective way of it doesn't matter. So just do the thing that is going to get you closer to that peace state. Like Benny, like I'm so thankful for you asking that question because it is just like, it's sitting with me of if that's my ultimate goal, there's a lot of things that I'm doing that are getting in my own damn way of getting there. And I will end up the 80, 90 year old woman finally at peace if I keep it up at this rate. And what do I want for myself? If I want to be able to enjoy, you know, this beautiful season of life that I'm in right now, which I'm still struggling to celebrate, which is just shows you how deep these things can be, you know, on, on the surface, everything is great, but I'm just hurting so bad. And that's where I wish I would have had that attitude of like, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. So just go in and be yourself. And if you're triggered, you're triggered. If you're vulnerable and you want to say something and somebody says something that hurt your feelings, say it and move on and stop beating yourself up over saying something, not saying something, practicing it in your head, then not doing it and then judging yourself for months because you never said the thing. You didn't stand up for yourself and then wondering who likes you and who's going to be attracted to you and like just all the things that are already complicated enough as a human being and a cat and an interracial adoptee, those things just like they get exponentially more difficult. And ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're going to marry who you're going to marry. You're going to live where you're going to live. You're going to get the job that you're going to get the job that you're going to get. And I think that would have freed me from a lot of the pressure that you kind of alluded to Shanae earlier, because again, it's like, who is it for? I mean, it's easy to ask that question and be like, Oh, it's for yourself, but it's like, not really. And the people that we're quote unquote doing it for, they don't care. They're not watching. They're not, they're not paying attention. Do they care when we post on Instagram and share something? Do we care when we re post, you know, the podcast or doing something? Absolutely. For that moment that they hit the like button and then they move on. They're not 
being like, oh, well, that's Sinead girl. She said that she said this in episode one. And now she's saying this in episode 10. It's like, no, no one's no one's keeping track. No one's benchmarking. Nobody is at the gates of heaven or whatever you believe in saying you did not pass your Korean test. So you got to go back. You know, none of that's there. And that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for the these two beautiful humans on this call. That's what I want for everyone to hear. This is just like. At some point, and this sounds harsh, I don't mean it to, but at some point we do have to accept the responsibility we have in our own healing and our own well-being. And I know that there's circumstances and illnesses and, and piled on trauma that makes that impossible for some people. But for those who are in a situation where you're on that cusp, where it's just down to you, everything else is cleared out of your way. And it's just you taking that step forward into unfamiliarity. Like what you were saying, Shanae, I talk with this, my therapist all the time. It's like, it's uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar. You're not used to having boundaries. You're not used to saying no. You're not used to slowing down your pace. And it's uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar because your whole life, the familiarity is the more I do, the more I'll validate myself and the more I'll hopefully feel good about dodging my own inevitable death. And that's the train I think we all got to get off. Is this like your worth is what you produce. Your worth is what you do. Your worth is your achievements. And as an adoptee, if you can do all these things and achieve all these things, then the adoption and the abandonment piece gets erased. It doesn't get erased. It never changes the fact that we were all abandoned at childhood, that the person and the people who brought us into this world for whatever reason walked away from us. And that is not an easy thing to do. And there comes a time where we got to figure out how much it's going to dictate our lives or not. Y'all, I, I love this conversation tonight. I mean, I can't be more thankful for the guests to come on and contribute and the stories we can hear from them. But I also just enjoy riffing with both of you. It's been, uh, you're like my second therapist. <laughs> but it's, it, it, I think that's part of building that community, though, too, is just having people that we can talk to and really help each other grow and speak, feel accepted and, and feel loved and feel safe. But uh, yeah, I just want to say that, that, you know, highlight of, highlight of my days and weeks is just being able to hear y'all share and, and really, you know, help a lot of people out there. We love you, Benny. And I'm thankful for both of you all as well. And this conversation was extremely therapeutic for that exact reason of just taking some of the pressure off, you know, to our listeners, whether you believe it or not, there is a lot of planning and strategery that goes on behind um, the scenes to, to create our content. And tonight was kind of a, a crapshoot and it feels really nice just to be able to come on here. And like you said, Benny, just kind of talk about, what's on our mind without an Excel sheet and without topics to, to hit and without, you know, nice to haves. It's, I think that's a part of, we've got to walk the walk, right? Like you said, like building the community and being authentic and being able to have conversations without really anything in mind, I think is a part of the collective healing that our community needs to be doing more. And just with the, with no pressure, you know, like, like no pressure to come out of the fog, no pressure to, walk away with some profound takeaway, but just to be able to come together 
and to be able to talk and save space, it's been, um, it's been life-changing really. Like I, I don't know that I would have made it through, uh, these past couple months without you guys, you know, without me realizing it. And like you said, like kind of coming and having that therapy. So thank you guys for that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I know, Benny, I just feel so lucky to have started this with you and Kara to have you on the team now. And I think there's just something so special about the adoptee community, the CAD community, and the sense that you know, we really do in so many ways embody the best parts and, you know, the true essence, I feel like, of community. I feel like we're supportive of each other. We rally behind one another without even, you know, so many of us, right, because of the pandemic, have never met each other in person. I mean, Kara, the three of us still haven't met in person. But right. the, the ability to feel so close or so supported by virtual strangers is just such a unique and profound thing. And then within that, you know, I mean, a lot of times we still say that, you know, keep in mind that with within the CAD community, there is the chance that the only thing that you share is that you are both or all CADs. And that doesn't mean that you're a good mesh of personalities. It doesn't mean you're going to align on everything because there's so much diversity in our experiences. But I just feel so lucky and so fortunate and so appreciative and grateful to have found the two of you and to have really just aligned. I feel like, you know, just aside from the cat identity, just as people, I feel like we are very complimentary. We just get a lot of things. And that's true for a lot of the guests that we've had as well. You know, we don't know. We, it's not like we compulsively stalk <laughs> uh, people on Instagram or whatever, but, you know, people fill out guest forms or we put out an all call and, and, you know, regardless of their story or without knowing a whole heck of a lot, they take the leap and come on and record with us for an hour and a half one week. And I feel like we all walk away like besties in a lot of ways. We're like, oh my gosh, we find that we have these similarities or we're swapping numbers. We're trying to get together at con. Um, and it's just so cool in that way. Um, and I'm really, really glad that it is the way that it is. Yes. Very well said. And in the vein of community, we talked about how great this was for our healing and our journey we invite and encourage everyone to start your process of finding community at Con because we'll be there June 24th through 26th and we want to meet people. I'm certainly going to be there to, to meet some more people and expand uh, my community and to meet both of you in real life. Um, but we'd love to have you guys out and, and meet you all in real life. If you're interested and able to join us in con, you can get more information at wearecon.org. And that's K-A-A-N. Denver, Colorado, y'all. What, what? <laughs> Don't put that in there. <laughs> put it in there.